This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Welcome to CityCast Denver. I'm Paul Caroli, and you are listening to Mayoral Madness, our effort to get to know all 17 candidates who want to be Denver's next mayor. Today, I'm speaking with Trinidad Rodriguez. Trinidad, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good morning. It's great to be with you. So I'm sure you've been out campaigning all across the city last few weeks. Uh, we're about a month and a half out from Election Day. I would love to hear what is what is somewhere new or new to you that you've loved recently? Cafe Tonatzin is in the uh, Santa Fe Arts District on 9th and Santa Fe. It's owned by a proprietor, Cynthia Diaz, who is uh, also an entrepreneur, a really exciting entrepreneur. Uh, they're opening their next location up in Boulder, actually. Uh, yeah, she's a supporter of mine. It's a beautiful place. Uh, they pay such great attention to their foods. And then all of their coffee drinks have a Mexican um, sort of ingredients incorporated into them. It's awesome. Neat. What, what should I order there next time I'm there? Well, I'm a, uh, there's a um, latte using horchata, uh, which is the uh, rice drink, aguas fresca. It's delicious. Love it. Love it. Okay, so I've got a question for you from the news. Um, last week, I saw that the old Denver Diner has officially reopened as a Chase Bank. Uh, this is something we've talked about a lot on the podcast, how the pandemic basically killed the late night diner in Denver. There's still a few couple of old favorites, um, but most of them are gone. How would you support our remaining diners and all of the other small businesses still struggling with the pandemic? Really, it's about uh, making for a clean and safe environment uh, throughout our city, a sense of safety so that people do want to go out and venture out and gather in um, these really valuable institutions that really are part of uh, the fabric of our building our community. I remember sitting at uh, those late night diners, including Pete's Kitchen, uh, across the street from where I went to high school at East High School. And, you know, that's where you had some of the most important conversations of the night were in those diners. So, yeah, I, I don't need to tell you how important they are. But uh, restoring our sense of safety is actually on our uh, mayor's plate here. And um, going out after dark. You know, I, I'm I'm generally willing to do that, um, but I can I can understand why there's really an eerie and, and dismal feeling out after dark, and uh, we need to turn that and reverse that trend so that so that people can pursue their interests. I mean, let's talk about it. How do you actually do that? I mean, because you're talking about feelings and confidence, and these things are really hard. I mean, this is this is personal. This is uh, there's a million different factors of why someone might feel that way. So, how would you, as mayor, actually do that? Yeah, it is personal. I'm glad you said that. It's personal for me because uh, there are really two sides to this for me. One is, uh, you know, remembering when I was nine years old, when our house was invaded and um, I was raised by a single mom in West Denver and uh, being helpless in that situation and how police arriving on the scene really did, you know, restore my sense of safety so that I could, you know, sleep that night. My mom could uh, feel safe again, finally. Um, by the same token, I know that uh, whenever I move my car just across the street for street sweeping, I need to 
make sure I have my ID on me, even for that short little step, because I don't want to be out there and, and, and be pulled over and have done something wrong. The consequences of, of, you know, giving, uh, someone who's angry or, or has, uh, some problem, you know, an officer with ha- which has, pr- who has problems, you know, the, an excuse to, to do something more to me, um, is, is really precarious and scary. But let me talk really quickly about what <clears throat> what my plan is for safety. Please do restoring that sense of public safety. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's really about <clears throat> starting with uh, restoring our ranks uh, of our police department, and uh, where our police department is actually our police officer ranks are about the same size as they were in 1997. Yet our city has grown by 50 percent. And those numbers just don't work for a sense of safety. Whether you think, uh, you, you know, there are obviously various sides to this, and I've just talked about the two sides I, I experience. And this is an opportunity to actually build equity in policing in terms of ex- our expansion of our ranks. And I can tell you more about that for sure. So hiring up the police force back to back to full strength, as you might say, but is there anything you would change about the way the police are regulated or, or anything about the training? Because there, there are a lot of people out there for whom a police officer showing up, you know, is not, does not convey a feeling of safety. Yeah. I, and I understand that. And really the opportunity that we have, um, in, pursuing this path of rebuilding our, 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 our ranks is to recruit in diverse neighborhoods. So having a police force that more closely reflects the diversity of our city and the uh, diversity of people in the criminal justice system um, is a big step in the right direction. The second is um, training, yes, more training focused on de-escalation and uh, non-lethal use of, of force and techniques to preserve life. And, uh, and then finally, investing in specialized teams. So teams like STAR that have a more dedicated mission uh, to respond to, you know, um, more mental health type crises. So that's the, you know, but we can do this in many more ways. We can have teams that are specialized investigator teams because we actually have to close cases and we have to, you know, hold people accountable. And all of those functions, we have to, you know, uh, enforce speed limits. All these functions are less, uh, are diminished in an environment where we don't have enough officers. All right, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about housing because rents are high. Home ownership is a pipe dream for too many Denverites. And I know you were the chair of the board of the Denver Housing Authority for over a decade. So I'm just guessing, but I bet you've got a bunch of ideas that you were not able to make happen in that position, but as mayor, you would be able to do to improve our housing situation. I'd love to hear some. What do you got? Yeah, I was uh, I was on the board of Downer Housing uh, Authority for 10 years. I was chair for a few years over that time. Uh, just to clarify, I uh, it was a real honor because Denver Health Housing Authority helped me and my mom through tough times. Um, when we had, were facing housing instability. And my ideas really are rooted in the fact that I've led the organization and I've been served by the organization as I also have uh, used my professional and management skill to actually uh, finance uh, projects that went on to uh, build affordable housing. So when I think about what I as mayor can do is really be active in supporting Denver Housing Authority by accelerating our supply and new uh, supply and delivery of new uh, afford- and additional affordable housing by really leveraging our existing resources, 
we did a D3 bond that accelerated about $150 million in projects a couple years ago. And we can do that to unlock even more rapid delivery of supply and diversity of supply. So, you know, types of housing that meets the the needs that we haven't really touched uh, nearly enough of yet, which is obviously the lowest income Denverites, but also people who uh, need protection from falling into poverty, who are at that workforce level and, and really just need need a, a hand to stay, uh, stay out of poverty and, and grow. Um, here's a specific question uh, on the housing issue, also from the news. Earlier this week, state lawmakers were debating a new bill that would repeal the statewide ban on rent control. If they pass it and allow municipalities to implement rent control, would you as mayor do that? Do you think rent control is the right thing for Denver? It's not. No, I don't think it's the right thing for Denver. The research is uh, quite compelling that suggests that uh, rent control actually forces more rental, single family and maybe duplex rental stock into single family uh, ownership. And that means... uh, accelerating the path of, of gentrification and elevation of prices and markets that might work great for other communities out in Denver, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to work in Denver where we are facing so much demand for our city and so little ability to just build our way out of this. It's just, um, it's the wrong way. Another uh, issue in the housing conversation is this new affordable housing measure that the city passed last year that requires developers to designate a certain amount of new builds as uh, affordable for certain bands of Aryan media income. What do you think of that policy? Would you strengthen it? Would you change it? Would you repeal it? I respect it. I uh, have concerns about it. Similarly, uh, these market uh, interventions uh, oftentimes, I, I do believe that we can uh, create incentives and ways for capital investors and developer uh, real estate investors to make more impactful uh, investments that actually slow down our housing per, uh, cost increases. That's really what the battle we're going to be fighting. And, and so I think there are better ways to do it. I, I'm, I don't think I would repeal it, but I, it does give me a lot of concern. Um, connected to the housing issue, of course, is the growing number of people living unhoused on the streets of our city. You've said that you would declare a state of emergency to tackle this issue. But what's next after that? What's the plan to help people? Yeah, the the plan is to, as a first step uh, after that, um, to actually create new pathways to mental health and substance use disorder treatments uh, by building a field hospital and then employing techniques that uh, and, and access that gives gets people helps people into treatment on a voluntary and an involuntary basis in the most humane possible way. Watching hundreds of people uh, die every year, 853 over the last five years, is the inhumane thing to do. The humane thing to do is actually start providing people uh, a way to get help and leave that recurring tragedy that we're just standing by and watching every single day. Uh, I also committed to uh, moving my office to this field treatment hospital as long as anyone is receiving treatment. Because when I, I remember when I was realizing that my godfather was homeless with addiction when I was 11, I also, in addition to wanting someone to protect him from himself, I also knew I wanted someone to have who really cared to have their, his or her eyes on him because if something happened to him or or we needed to get in touch with him, we had a way. 
So I have to ask you about that one word you said a minute ago, involuntary. I know you've advocated in the past for, quote, involuntary holds of homeless people in certain circumstances. This is a controversial proposal. New York Mayor Eric Adams got in some hot water making similar proposal recently. Can you explain the circumstances where you think it would be appropriate to hold an innocent person against their will? Yeah, um, they really. it really stems from a clinical um, diagnosis of uh, the conditions where people's health uh, disorders are caught that cause them to be of danger to themselves and others. And that is not humane to let someone be of danger to themselves and others in the most hazardous possible conditions. You know, it, it the humane thing to do is actually to do something that uh, actually gets beyond, you know, clear the clear uh, symptoms of the disorder that cause people to resist treatment. There are a, a whole lot of other ways we can make sure our burden is extremely high to ensure that this is a ethical and humane approach. And we can satisfy that burden by delivering a quality and a, uh, and a, and a true, and a true healing, um, so that people, uh, can go on and pursue longer term healing and recovery and then we can support them through that uh, with the rest of our ecosystem and in, in our uh, community battling this challenge. You know, I've talked to people about this proposal in the past, and I think there's some people out there for whom this is just a total non-starter, this idea of involuntary holds. Like they would say the Bill of Rights is a high enough burden to meet. You know, we don't need to go higher than that. We don't need to have some different standard what do you say to those people for whom this is just like too uncomfortable and of an idea? Yeah, I'd say, well, our state law, first of all, allows for this. And there were enhancements to our state law in 2021. Eric Adams has started this process. I was actually first inspired by uh, Mayor B London Breed in San Francisco, who uh, really started to innovate. Uh, the California state legislature expanded their concept of conservatorship under their state law. And Mayor London Breed has been among the real pioneers of tackling the health shortfall that we're just not doing enough of in our communities. And uh, frankly, that uh, has the prospects, I think, to really grow out of control. The, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Michelle Wu in Boston has talked about this. And uh, Karen Bass, on her first day in office, uh, new mayor of Los Angeles, uh, declare, declared an emergency with respect to people living unhoused on their streets, um, again, as I will do. The legal, uh, you know, I also believe people have a right to health care, okay? And uh, if there's someone sitting in an emergency room in Denver Health, to kick them out and deny them health care is not the right approach, and that's effectively what we're doing today. All right, let's take a step back. Why do you want to be mayor? <laughs> to build my vision for this city, and I want to tell you a little bit about myself, you know, as I, as I talk about this, to build my vision of the city where every Denverite, regardless of the neighborhood they're in, can go on to achieve their version of success. You know, I was born and raised in West Denver by a single mom, and I, uh, we've faced these uh, challenges along, you know, along the way. I've alluded to some of them, but the city really helped us uh, in the tough times, and I wanted to pay it forward. So when I was uh, 25 years ago, when I started my career, I also started giving and serving in the community to, to do just that. And my 
leadership and financing went on to secure financing for affordable housing communities, hospitals and clinics and schools. And, uh, you know, Denver's in some really tough times today, and we've talked about a couple of the issues already. Uh, but I believe in Denver. I'm going to keep fighting for Denver. And, and all of that experience and that commitment sets me apart. We can build my vision, and it, it's going to take all of us, actually, frankly, but I'm committed and ready to do it. And I think and that message is resonating with Denverites. So the flip side of that same question is, uh, why would you be a good mayor? Having been experienced the uh, what it feels like to be served by the systems that uh, Denver is responsible for for uh, building, maintaining, operating, innovating in, you know, like going to Denver Health to get my health care growing up and, uh, you know, going on then to actually do financing for, you know, several clinics and the first inpatient, uh, the first new inpatient mental health facility for youth in Denver, my financing built that. And, and then to, to support them in the community and advancing uh, health in, in everything I do and talk about in my leadership out in the community. Having that triangle and being able to connect those three dots uh, really helps me see the view and the needs of every, you know, many people and the discussions around our most uh, pressing challenges. Okay. Um, I've got a question here for you from a listener. Jessica W. writes, traffic violations and road rage are at an all-time high in the city, leading to deadly vehicle accidents and violence. Um, I think we had 82 traffic deaths last year, some record high. So she asks, what are your plans to address this silent epidemic? We need people to actually uh, be protecting those who are not taking these extraordinary risks with others' lives by speeding and uh, pursuing road rage. And and I've talked about my safety rank and exploring our ranks. We can have civilian, uh, much more civilian teams and invest in specialized civilian teams to actually enforce our laws in uh, fair and reasonable ways. The next piece is using more technology uh, oh, sorry, I should back up. Lowering the speed limit everywhere. <laughs> um, so everybody knows in Denver, you know, when, uh, you know, when you, it's posted 30, you can drive 35 or 37. And that's within sort of legal territory. So we need to lower our uh, speed limits for our expectation of how people should drive in every, in every part of our city. Second, enforcement. I talked about uh, expanding our ranks. The, uh, using technology, cameras, red light cameras, speeding cameras, much more, and we can do that equitably so that as we uh, build out our network in more advantaged neighborhoods, we do twice as much in our low-income neighborhoods where, frankly, the infrastructure is far more dangerous for people walking, biking, uh, and even driving. So we've got a, a bunch of questions that we're just grabbing and giving to every candidate as we talk to them. I pulled a couple for you. First one is, um, we've talked about safety a little bit and your plan for the police. I want to talk about that a little bit more. There's a lot of concern about how safe or unsafe Denver is. What do you think? Is Denver a safe place? And, and what does safety mean to you? Safety, if I were a single man, safety, um, my, my, I would feel generally safe in Denver. However, I have a family. I have a wife and a daughter who move throughout the city. And by extension, I don't feel safe in many cases when they are going to uh, work or school or whatever, you know, they're, they're doing in a given day. 
And, and I can understand how many of our residents um, do not feel safe. And it's not for fear of uh, the way someone else looks or what, you know, it's actually the statistics that we're seeing. Um, we're seeing, you know, an increase in violence in every crime. So that's probably the biggest and most concerning trend that I see on the horizon. And, uh, you know, it's not just a, a catalytic converter theft anymore. It's a catalytic converter theft with guns, with, you know, all these other, you know, that is the predicted, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a retired FBI agent, and that's the predictable path of uh, too, too little law enforcement, well-trained uh, law enforcement is the uh, people who want to do bad things start bringing more, uh, start acting much more violently, especially as people, you know, arm themselves to try and protect themselves and the like. All right. This next one's a fun one. Casa Bonita is set to reopen in May. What do you think? Is it a great restaurant or the greatest restaurant? <laughs> it's the greatest restaurant. Can I uh, buy a year's worth supply of Friday night dinners uh, with a few friends? Because that's what that's what I'd like to do in honor of and and to re-experience Casa Bonita. I would have loved to have moved it here. Sounds like it was in really bad shape when uh, the team bought it, uh, Trey Parker and them, and uh, it would have been great to put it on some 18, uh, 18 wheelers and move that baby over here. Yeah. Where would you have put it in Denver? What's the ideal spot? Well, the neighborhood that would welcome it, first of all, next to my house. I, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if my neighbors would welcome it. Uh, I tried to paint my There's house be that lines. color. Yeah. I tried to paint my house that pink color, but uh, I got a, I got a swift no from my next door neighbors. um all right well just to start wrapping up here part of the reason that we're doing this project trying to talk to all 17 candidates for mayor is that we really want to hear a vision for denver's future i think that's what people want right now coming out of the pandemic so hard such a hard few years tell me about your version of denver what is what is the future under mayor rodriguez in five ten years yeah i've talked about my vision of uh building a city where every denverite can go on to achieve their version of success whether it's the west side like me with a single mom or a neighborhood with more advantage uh it feels like a really distant vision but um uh, because some of the tough challenges that we just talked about uh that denver is facing but i'm going to keep fighting for denver and uh, we can get through those. And once we get through those, we're going to be much closer to my vision. The other thing I'll add is that the values and the sort of the cultural uh, tone that I would like to set as mayor, that I will set as mayor, are built upon honoring and uh, protecting differences as people come to, to work to build this vision. Secondly, it's to really listen and, and empathize with everybody who's at the table that we invite into this conversation and, and into this work. And then lastly, always explaining and communicating what we do and in ways that everybody can understand. So everyone may not agree, but they'll see what the logic was. And, you know, they'll, it, it will. Uh, and, and when we do all of that, we will get to my vision. Where can listeners learn more about you? My website, www trinidad for denver number four denver.com you can use the word for too and it'll take you to the right place well trinidad rodriguez thanks so much for joining me well thank you it's been great talking to you see you at casa bonita 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mayoral Madness. What we hope is a 17-part interview series with all the candidates on the ballot to be Denver's next mayor. We're planning to publish these episodes each weekend leading up to Election Day on April 4th, and we'll be providing more news and analysis during the week. Subscribe to CityCast Denver and learn more about Mayoral Madness at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back soon with even more mayoral candidates who want to lead the city.